Hello, ghouls. Welcome to Brave the Basement. I'm your host, Ghoul the Rules. If you enjoy getting a little scared, ghost stories, haunted houses, a believer in the supernatural, or maybe even a skeptic wanted to look at things from a different perspective, then this is the show for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Ed's Barbershop. Ed's Barbershop is located at 210 Lane Street, North Judson, Indiana. So if you enjoy getting your hair cut from hometown barber with that old-fashioned feel, then dial 574-896-3344 and schedule your appointment today. So today, we're going to be talking about an exorcist story. And this is a topic that I typically do not like to talk about. Um, and I, I've been wanting to do it because we're almost at the very end of season two. Uh, next week will be our last episode for season two before we get prepared for season three. And in these two seasons, uh, I knew I was eventually going to have to do an episode about uh, Exorcist, but I always wanted to be very cautious of how I approached it uh, because, you, you know, when you start talking about demons, you can get to a point where you start to open yourself up. And I came across this story and I said, I feel comfortable uh, doing this episode and then, uh, so we'll talk about it once I get through, uh, this individual's personal story and we'll talk a little bit about what her exorcism is. Amy Stamatis was left paralyzed below the waist after she plunged from the second story of her Cersei home onto a brick patio in November of 2006. The circumstances of the incident were unusual. Stamatis had climbed into an open window and was sitting on the sill when she fell. She insists that she did not jump. But for months beforehand, Stamatis had been struggling with quote-unquote dark thoughts. She had heard voices telling her to kill herself and sought treatment from doctors and psychiatrists. The voice didn't stop. Stamatis believed she was going through a mental breakdown. After her fall, she was lying in a hospital bed when she was visited by a woman who claims to have raised the dead and healed the terminally ill through prayer. The woman saw something in Stamatis that no one else had. She saw demons. Stamatis began experiencing strange ailments seven months before her fall. She was wrapping up a 24-hour shift as a med flight nurse at Baptist Health Medical Center in Little Rock when she was tasked with treating a burn patient. After wheeling him in a stretcher and completing a report, she found herself wandering the halls of the emergency room aimlessly. She had suddenly forgotten how to do her job. After I took care of him, my mind went out of the window, Stamatis said. I was just blank. That was her final shift at the hospital. Stamatis, a marathon runner, went home and was unable to run straight. She couldn't even perform simple tasks like picking out her clothes. Stamatis told her husband she was having a nervous breakdown, which began a string of visits to doctors and psychiatric hospitals. She was diagnosed with different mental illnesses. Stamatis said that doctors prescribed her antidepressants like they were candy, but the voices continued and her behavior became unpredictable. She stripped out of her clothes at a family gathering with her in-laws. During visits to the hospital, she yelled at her former co-workers. A particularly tense episode happened when Stamatis and her husband traveled to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota looking for specialized treatment. While there, she broke away from the doctors and climbed seven or eight stories up to the edge of a parking ramp and threatened to jump. 
Police and her husband talked her down, but the voices continued. The downtown Church of Christ in Circe held a prayer service for Stamatis after she fell. Among those in attendance was Cindy Lawson, a Pentecostal evangelist who has performed about ten exorcisms. Lawson was not a member of the Church of Christ and had never met Stamatis, but she heard what happened and felt compelled to visit her. The Lord spoke to me and told me to go to the hospital to cast the demons out of her, Lawson said. I could feel something churning. Stamatis had broken her back in three places, punctured both lungs, and broken her ribs. She said injuries indicate that she did not brace herself for impact. None of the bones in her arms and legs were broken. Lawson said that when she arrived at the hospital, Stamatis was wide open. I could see the demons, Lawson said. A friend of Stamatis told her that Lawson was there to pray over her. According to Lawson, Stamatis, or something inside her, growled in response. Why are you here? Stamatis snarled. Lawson brought out anointing oil and wiped it across Stamatis' forehead. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I command that these demons release her and come out of her and that she comes to her right mind. In Jesus' name, Lawson commanded. Stamatis' facial expression changed. The spirit of the Lord fell into that room, Lawson recalled. So symptoms associated with demonic possessions are convulsions, hysteria, erased memories, can look very similar to the symptoms of conditions like epilepsy and schizophrenia. Exorcism rituals, which can include restraining a person, can be harmful and sometimes deadly, especially for the mentally ill. In 2005, a Romanian nun who had been treated for schizophrenia died of suffocation and dehydration during a rigorous orthodox exorcism. In 2007, a 22-year-old drowned, and a 14-year-old was severely injured during a family-centered exorcism in New Zealand. New York psychiatrist Dr. Richard Gallagher works with Catholic priests to help them tell the difference between those suffering from mental illnesses and those who have been possessed. The same habits that shape what I do as a professor and psychiatrist, open-mindedness, respect for evidence, and compassion for suffering people, led me to aid in the work of discerning attacks by what I believe are evil spirits, and just as critically, differentiating those extremely rare events from medical conditions, he wrote in a column in the Washington Post in 2016. But careful observation of the evidence presented to me in my career has led me to believe that certain extremely uncommon cases can be explained no other way. It's hard to quantify how many people have been treated for demon possession in Arkansas or elsewhere. Many religions believe supernatural entities can possess humans, but the symptoms, treatment, and methods of diagnosis vary. Gallagher wrote that in some circles, there's a tendency to quote-unquote see the devil everywhere. He wrote that some clergy members are not as cautious as they should be in diagnosing demon possession, but the Catholic Church has taken steps to limit these misdiagnoses. The Catholic Catechism, the Church's written doctrine, says that illness, especially psychological illness, should be handled through medical science. Therefore, the doctrine says, before an exorcism is performed, it is important to ascertain that one is dealing with the presence of the evil one and not an illness. The Vatican expanded its annual exorcism course in 2018, citing increased demand. Josh Stignall, 
a Catholic priest in Little Rock said this is due to a growing lack of faith in God and an increased interest in the occult in modern society. Only a priest who is trained and given authority by a bishop is able to perform the solemn exorcism. Because of the risk of sensationalism, the ritual is performed discreetly. It would typically be during the day in a church environment and with other family members present. There is nothing magical about the ritual. It is a prayer in faith and requires the faith of the person to be set free. Demonic possession is not recognized as a medical condition by the American Psychiatric Association or the International Statistical Clarification of Disease and Related Health Problems. Stomatis, who's 49, said that before she fell and lost an exerciser, she was diagnosed with a rare chemical imbalance called pophoria that causes seizures, abdominal pain, nervous syndrome dysfunction, and mental confusion. Stomatis, a former nurse, still believes she was possessed. In the medical world, they need to put a name to it, Stomatis said, speaking of possession. They don't understand because they have never dealt with these types of demons. So how are they going to fight against something that you don't know how to fight that you don't understand? Lawson shared her sentiment. If most people knew it was a demon possessing thing, they would seek out that help, Lawson said. But it's so hard to convince people that is what is going on. Exorcisms conjure images of levitating bodies and screaming priests, thanks in no small part to Hollywood. The 1973 film The Exorcist, with its graphic depiction of demonic possession, spawned several sequels and influenced decades of horror films. Stingle said it's frustrating to see his religious practices dramatized to the point of disbelief on screen. The more common form of spiritual attack or demonic influence, he said, is temptation. That looks very different than a levitating child. The major exorcism or solemn exorcism is rare because cases of demonic possessions are rare, he said. He also said in most cases people are demon oppressed rather than demon possessed. And since demon oppression is ordinary, it is approached with ordinary Catholic practices, sacraments, blessings, and prayer. Monty Cox, the modest preacher and the dean of the College of Bible and Ministry at Harding University, said he teaches balance. Knowing that demons exist and protecting against them while not being distracted by the sensationalized accounts of demon possession in popular culture. Cox said he would rather focus on more mundane demonic manipulations such as addiction and violence that happen daily. On one hand there are those infatuated with the demonic and being drawn into a kind of magic that sounds more faithful than it is, Cox said. And on the other hand there are those suckered by a modern worldview that says such things don't actually exist. Cox said that whether it manifests in the strange phenomena seen in movies and pop culture or through more ordinary darkness like drug abuse and violence, those who seek demonic influence will find it. If you play with that dog, he said, you're going to get bit. Catholic exorcisms are reserved for the ordained but the loss in any follower of Jesus who is filled with the Spirit can cast out demons. Lawson said that she first performed a ritual on a nine-year-old boy and he levitated. She said she has seen others foam at the mouth. She have had their eyes change colors. Others have spoken in demonic voices. It's not pleasant at first. It was terrifying, she said. But it's what God called me to do.
Stamata said that she has no recollection of her exorcism, but her family members saw an immediate change in her afterwards. In a recent interview, she said she's mentally healthy and spiritually she's better than ever. Stamata said her greatest loss is not being able to go back to work as a nurse. Her paralysis prevents that. But Lawson believes God will intervene and fully heal her. That's what they've prayed for anyway. As a nurse, I would not have believed this if it happened to me, Stamata said. I'd say that doesn't happen today, which is a lie. I lived it. So that brings us to the age-old question when it comes to demonic possession and these exorcisms. Is demonic possession real? Are these exorcisms real? Do they really help? And I really like how this article brought up the movie because a, a lot of what people think they know about this topic is based from a movie. And... I happen to fall in that same category. Um, you know, I've never seen this in person and I hope to never see this in person, but it is something I wholeheartedly believe in. I do believe that there are demons out there and I do believe that people are can be possessed by them. And I do believe exorcisms work. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you know, I wanted to be very careful of how I approach this episode. And I'm going to reread you this uh, small paragraph, and this is why. Because it said, Cox said that whether it manifests in the strange phenomena seen in movies and pop culture, or through more ordinary darkness like drug abuse and violence, those who seek demonic influence will find it. If you play with that dog, he said, you're going to get bit. And I was listening to... Um, another podcast today uh, that was talking about demonic possession and exorcisms and how they had to bring these this priest in to uh, help this family and they went on to explain that the priests uh, somehow in in some forms of exorcism will try to use the demon's name to order the demon out of the person and what I thought was really wise by the people who did the podcast said, well, we're not going to say those names here. And that is something that I greatly advise everybody to do. Do not go look up these demon names and start saying their names and opening yourself up to this because this is serious stuff. This isn't just finding a ghost in the closet or under the bed. This is demon possession. And people have died while trying while a, a preacher was was trying to exercise a demon out of them so this is even even if you have the proper help things can go wrong very very quickly so that's how i wanted to be extremely careful how i approach this topic but this is a paranormal podcast uh this happens in the paranormal world so i have to cover it so my feelings on this exact story right here some things to note uh, that they mentioned in here that I found very interesting was she was diagnosed with chemical imbalances. After the exorcism, according to this article, everything seems good with her spiritually and health-wise other than her paralysis from the fall. And did the exorcism help? More than likely. 
Um, I believe her story. I believe her story for a number of reasons. Like I said, you know, she's better after the exorcism. She seems like she had a normal life. She had a, a good job. She was a marathon runner, so she liked to stay in shape. She liked to be very active. So purposely hurting herself to the point of paralysis, especially for an athlete, is something that they just typically would not do. So something drove her to do something that she didn't want to do, and it is just classic demonic possession. And before we get on out of here today, uh, I want to tell you guys, we were just recently featured on the Indie Drop-In Network. And what the Indie Drop-In Network is, it is a network where indie creators such as Brave the Basement submit episodes. And there's three different categories. There's comedy, there's uh, true crime, and scary time. So what these are, these are individual podcasts. That 100% of the episodes are indie submitted episodes. And what happens is you get your podcast in front of a much larger audience. And it just gives you a chance to, to grow even more. Uh, so we were lucky enough to have a full week featured. You are allowed to submit up to four episodes a year. Um, I just recently submitted a third episode. Uh, we went all the way back. Uh, the, the first two episodes I submitted were episode one and two from season one. So we went all the way back to Mr. Sellers. Those who remember Grandma's house and Mr. Sellers. And then uh, recently just submitted the episode Shadow People. And I'll be working on uh, getting ready to upload one more in the next coming weeks. And that'll hit our limit for four. The plan is uh, next year in 2022 to submit one every quarter. So... That would give me our four episodes. And so uh, I'm still working with Blackjack on all the episodes that we want to submit to the Indie Drop-In Network. But definitely go to IndieDropInNetwork.com. Because uh, like I said, you know, if you, you're listening to this, you love the paranormal. And they have multiple paranormal podcasts. Uh, the neat thing is after your featured is completed, uh, you still remain in the back catalog. So you're still discoverable by, by people as they find the network. So definitely go check that out. A lot of great podcasts out there. And that brings me to uh, next week, our final episode for season two. So it is episode 20. It is the 40th episode of Brave the Basement. Um, what to expect next week. Uh, last season, we did a big giant celebration and we had a bunch of corny uh, I don't even know what you call them now. Them, them little blow whistles that you blow. They sounded absolutely horrendous. And we, we got a big joke out of it. Uh, this time we're not going to make as much fanfare. But what we are going to do is have a couple announcements for you. Tell you kind of what to expect for Season 3. We might, might do a little recap of what we've done here in Season 2. But it has been a successful season. We've had a good time. And I'm glad you guys joined us again for Season 2 of Brave the Basement. If you'd like to become a Brave the Basement ghoul, be sure to share this show on social media. Go to bravethebasement.weebly.com and sign up for our newsletter to get all the latest news and updates when each episode has been posted. If you got a ghost story you would like to share, you could reach us at bravethebasement at gmail.com. Your story could make it on the show and be featured on the website. 
You can also submit your story on Reddit under the subreddit Brave the Basement or in the YouTube comment section. If you have an eerie ghost photo you would like to share, please email us and include a description and your photo could be added to our photo gallery. And that brings us to the end. We hope that we brought you just a little fright. And remember when you were up late at night and you hear something in the other room that just doesn't seem right. It's okay if you need to turn on the light to protect yourself from things that go bump in the night. I'm your host, Will The Rules, and I hope you join us again. Until next time.